Galatians chapter 3. Let's pray. Holy Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have just to come together and worship you freely. God, I pray that you help us not to take that for granted. It's very easy to do. Because we think of the pastor in Iran, Yusuf, who is right this moment waiting to find out if he will be killed for his faith. God, we just want to lift him up, lift his wife up and his children up. God, I pray that you would bring grace and peace and mercy on his life and on his family. And we ask that you would spare his life so he can continue to preach the gospel. God, but if you take his life, I pray that you would be glorified and people would come to know you. God, help us see and realize the importance of what we have in the gospel. God, I pray that you would lift up Luke and Priscilla as they're going through a loss. Anyone else who's suffering a loss and feeling that this morning, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, thank you for the grace of communion that we're going to share at the end. We can think about what you did for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you come right now and use your word and waken people up to the gospel. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have been going through the book of Galatians. And the big question that the people of Galatians are asking was, how do you get right with God or how do you stay right with God? Which is a great question. They want to know this. this are, these people wanted to have this known. And the problem with this is as they were trying to know what the answer to that question was, they had the answer to that through the gospel. They received the answer to that. But they had some other people come in who started telling them that, no, you didn't fully receive the gospel. There's more to the gospel than just that. You've got to get right with God, not just by believing in Jesus, but you've got to get right with God and be right with God by doing some things, holding to the old Jewish law, namely being circumcised and also following some of the other Jewish traditions. And Paul came in and said, no, that's not the gospel that I preach to you. Hold to the gospel. If you don't hold to the gospel, he says there would be a curse on you. You'd be accursed. Not too long ago, I went to visit somebody who was going in for surgery, who'd been in church all his life, and I asked them, do you know for sure that if something doesn't go right with this surgery, where you're going to go? Do you know if you're right with God? And I was expecting a strong, yes, Paul, I know, absolutely, it's by grace through faith. And his answer was, I hope so. I think I know. I hope so. That's not what Paul wants us to be at. That's not what I want you to be at. That's not what we want to believe. We have got to know where to start, and then we need to stay at the start. If you want a strong finish, you've got to stay at the start when it comes to the gospel. Vince Lombardi, who was the, one of the greatest football coaches Great championship. Every time the Super Bowl is won, everybody mentions Vince Lombardi's name. Every year when he started preseason, he would look at all these guys, these professional football players, and he'd hold up a football and he'd say, men, this is a football. And he would absolutely start every preseason with the basics. Because if you get the basics wrong, you're going to get everything else wrong. If you don't stay with the basic, you're going to get it wrong. If you try to play football with a tennis ball, it's no longer football. 
and it's wrong. If you're trying to play it with anything else but a football, it's wrong. So you've got to make sure you are correct with the basics when it comes to football, and you've got to stay there. It's the same thing with the gospel. We've got to stay at the beginning, because at the beginning, if we stay at the start, we will finish strong. If we move from the start, we will not finish, is Paul's argument to the church at Galatia. And so as he moves to Galatians chapter 3, he just got done defending himself as an apostle. I'm going to start in verse 1, but we're going to read all the way through 14 just to get the context again. He reached these people with the gospel. He preached to them. They should have known it. It wasn't that long ago that they believed. And so he passionately says to them in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now the most important paragraph of the book of Galatians. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. One of the things we've got to remember when we're reading the book of Galatians is this was a book written to believers. Paul writes to these people as Christians. He's not writing to people who don't know what they believe. He's writing to people who are in the faith, who are believers, and he's trying to shake them from this fog that they've gotten themselves into, starting to believe that they have to do something to earn God's favor. They have to do something to be in right standing with God. And Paul says, no, that's not how you came into the faith. That's not how you continue in the faith. And so he's giving them doctrine. What is important to believe to shake them from this fog that they've gotten themselves into? He says to them, if you want a strong finish, you have to stay at the start. That doesn't make any sense to us, does it? For us, when we think of that, are you kidding me? If we're in a race... You can't stay at the start and have a strong finish. It's not going to work that way. But in gospel, that's exactly the way it works. If you leave the start, you will never make it to the finish. You will end up shipwrecked. And what you are believing is gospel will not be gospel. And Paul says there is a curse on you. There, it is a, you'll be accursed. So stay at the start if you want to finish in the end. And he brings it up by going way back to the start. He wants us, first of all, to realize that the opportunity to be in right standing with God 
began with God. Because all of a sudden, he's talking to these Gentiles, not Jews. He's talking to these Gentiles, and he's trying to shake them from this fog that they've gotten into. And he says, listen, Abraham. Where did that come from? Abraham. We're Gentiles. What's Abraham got to do with anything? Abraham is the father of faith. He is the man of faith. He is the beginning of the gospel. It's where it all began. And he says, listen, my grace is so amazing that it reaches all the way back to the beginning of time with a man named Abraham, the man of faith. And the way he came into right standing with me was by faith, not by works. Because these Judaizers had come in and said, no, you have to be circumcised. In Genesis chapter 17, every Jew who was in the people of God, the covenant people of God, had to be circumcised. That was the mark. But Paul goes beyond that, and he goes back to Genesis chapter 15. And he says, no, that's not how I justified Abraham. Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 5 says this, Abraham had been called out by God to leave his homeland. And God said, Abraham, if you will leave your homeland, I'm promising you that from you, from you will be a great nation. All the people will be blessed because of you. And he waited, and he waited for this promise for God, and it never came. And he was waiting for this promise. And Abraham thought, this is not going to happen. But God spoke to him in Genesis 15 and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't have any children. And at this rate, it's going to have to be through my servant. That's not what you told me. Is your promise real? And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And God said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him is righteousness. Abraham believed the promise. The gospel is all about the promise that God made to us by his grace. Not by anything that Abraham did. You think, well, Abraham was a great guy. He was a man of faith. Abraham was not that great of a guy if you look back at this history. Abraham lied about who his wife was, not just once, twice to protect his own skin. He doubted many times. He was wondering, is, God, you're gonna, is this promise going to come through? But he, by faith, believed and that point in time, God said, yes, because you believe, your faith is counted as righteousness, not by anything that you do, Moses, because Abraham, because as, as Abraham lived his life, he didn't live a perfect life. He lived kind of a broken, messed up life because all of us are broken. That's the whole story of Genesis is that at the beginning, God made everything perfect. And his gospel is this, because look what it says in verse 7 of Galatians. Know this. It's an imperative. Paul's saying, know this. This is what you must know. Know this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand. Jesus hadn't come yet. What was this gospel that was preached? Gospel means good news. And the good news that was preached to Abraham was 
I'm going to restore everything, Abraham. I'm going to restore things back. This is God's promise to us and to you, that one day everything's going to be restored the way it's supposed to be. That's good news, isn't it? Because the way things are now, things aren't looking that good without any hope. Left to ourselves, it's going to be a disastrous mess we will end up in. But God, way back in the beginning, way back in Genesis, he said, I created man to live under, underneath me, follow my ways, and we rebelled. Adam rebelled. Our representative, he rebelled. And because of that, all of us have rebelled. And we are broken and bentward into ourselves, and we are hurting. And way at the beginning, God said, I'm still going to love them. I'm going to redeem my creation. I'm going to restore my creation. That's good news. The big gospel good news is that one day God's going to restore everything. But at the heart of the gospel, the center of the gospel, the blazing center of the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the climax of all the gospel. Everything hinges on that. And Jesus Christ crucified is our hope. So gospel's big. It's good news. But the most important aspect in the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified And don't leave that. Don't go off that. Don't think that you have to do something to get that. Realize that the opportunity to be in right standing with God began with God. It didn't begin with you. This makes everything different for us. Because it takes our little minuscule lives that we just get up and we go to school and we teach. Or we get up and we go to some work and we work and we build things. And it seems like it doesn't really matter. Because of the gospel, your life matters. Because your life is part of a big picture, a big drama, a big epic story of God, not about you. That you are a part of something bigger than yourself. And so it does matter what you do on Tuesday. It does matter what you do on Wednesday. Because it's not just about you. You are part of a huge picture and a huge story of God that God began in his grace thousands of years ago with a man named Abraham. That's our hope. God has always planned to bless us as Gentiles. That's been God's plan always to bless us, to bring in us into the people of God. It's an amazing grace on us. And it only happens by faith. Nothing that we do. We have to realize, we have to know this, we have to believe this, and we have to experience this, that it is our opportunity to be right with God only comes because it begins with God. What does this do for us? It's absolutely true resting on the start of the gospel will kill and should destroy pride in our lives. Because it's never about us. It's about us believing what God did for us that he came to rescue us, that he redeemed us. It should destroy pride in us. If you feel superior than somebody else, thinking you're better than them, then that is pride and you are guilty of sin. If you feel inferior, because you can't bear to believe that someone is better than you, then that is pride. And the gospel destroys that because the gospel isn't about you. It was not about anything you did or didn't do. It was everything about what Jesus did for you. And if we believe the gospel, 
And if we hold to the gospel, and if we live out the gospel, it will radically change the way we live. It will destroy, should destroy, and must destroy all prejudices that we have. Prejudices that are social, which is really big in this area. If you have or if you don't have, there's prejudice. You're not better than somebody that has nothing, and you're not worse than somebody who has everything because of the gospel, because Jesus died for you. It destroys racial prejudice because Jesus, God's plan from the beginning was to reach every tongue, every tribe, every nation, not just white people in America or black people in America or Hispanic people in America. His plan was always to reach everybody, so we must love everybody and accept everybody the way Jesus accepted them. That's the gospel. And it must change us. It should destroy all mental pride. I'm smarter than somebody else. So I've been more educated than somebody else. That's not the gospel. It should destroy economic pride. All those things should be killed and must be killed by the gospel. It's our hope because it was all of faith. We are all just recipients of God's amazing grace, which started thousands of years ago with a man named Abraham. Is that how you're living? Is that how the faith that you are demonstrating? And Paul says, wake up and realize it was all God's grace on you that gave you that. And then Paul says this, know this. He says, he wraps that up, so then, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Not just Jews, Not just people who are born Jewish are people of Abraham. No, everyone who is born of faith are the people of Abraham, which means anyone born of faith is and are the people of God, which makes your life important because God died for your life. And so what you do on Thursday, how you treat people on Wednesday does matter because we are part of a big picture of God. And so Paul says, listen, Also know this. You people know this. You're Christians. Know this. The reliance on works ends in a curse. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. The curse that people don't experience, but are living under, and some people are experiencing and don't know how to describe the curse, but the word that most people would probably use for the curse that they feel today is emptiness. I'm living my life, and it just seems empty. I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to make money, and it still makes me empty. I'm trying to have a happy family, and it still seems empty. I'm trying to just to create things, and it just seems empty. Apart from Jesus Christ, the curse of life is emptiness. And without Jesus Christ, eternity without Christ is utter emptiness. God says, if you rely on works to find satisfaction in your life and to find hope, 
It always ends in a curse. It's not by the law. And he was writing to people who have been told, listen, the law, you have to do all these things. You have to do this. You have to do this. And you have to do this. And Paul says, no, the law was never intended to be about the gospel or to be about grace. That was never the intention of the law. The law's purpose was never to redeem. The law's purpose was never to justify. The law's purpose was never to make you right with God. It was never the purpose of the law. So if you try to do things by works of law to earn your right standing before God, it will always end up in a curse because God is omniscient. He is fully aware of every deed, every thought, and every attitude, and every word. And one little mistake, one little sin separates you from a righteous and holy God. How many of you have things that you've done in your life that your parents, they may be in their 90s, still don't know about? And you hope that they never find out. You're never going to tell your parents. Oh, some of you are much more honest than I am. My mom does not know everything that I have done. But God does. My mom may live her life without finding out. Let's hope so. But God will not. God knows everything, every little thought, every little attitude, any of those things that are against God's righteous justice standard, he knows about it. And so by doing law, trying to do something to earn enough favor with God, earn enough good works, do enough morality to cover that, he's not going to do it. Reliance on the law will end in a curse. There's a girl in Italy sitting there right now, this weekend, stressed beyond belief, I'm sure, waiting to find out tomorrow if they're going to let her go for a murder either she did or did not commit. And at this point, it doesn't matter if she committed it or not. At this point, what she wants to know is, is Italy going to pardon me so I can come back home to America? Have you heard this story? And she is waiting for pardon if from the guilt sentence that she has been given. And you know, some good moral teaching may help her this weekend. Somebody could come in and say, you know what? Listen, just sit down. I know you're stressed out, but just sit down and kind of breathe deeply. Here's some three ways to kind of relieve some stress. Let me give you some tips on how to handle the stress. And it may help her for a few minutes improve her situation for the weekend. Or here's some nice things you might need to do for your parents to make them feel good. Write them a nice little letter. And that might help her for a few minutes, wouldn't it? in her situation. But ultimately, what that girl needs is the guilt sentence on her life removed. She needs to be pardoned. And the only way that's going to happen is if a judge will say to her, you are justified. I forgive you. You are pardoned. Law will never do that. So if you try to live your life by thinking, I can just do some things for God. I can just do some things. I can, I can try and earn some favor. You know, I can kind of treat people nicely and learn how to treat people nicely so I should go to church and learn how to date the right people, talk to the right people, how to handle myself in social situations and that will help me look good before God. It'll help you for a little bit. But at the end, you still have a death sentence of guilt over us. That's why God says we've got to stay at the start of the gospel. Don't leave the gospel because the gospel does this for us. If you rely on the law, you will die. And Paul says, you people know this. You're Christians. And the law was never intended to help you 
find justification, to be right with God. Because even the Old Testament talked about how all people are in sin. 1 Kings 8.46 says, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Proverbs 29 says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. And Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. No one has ever lived life except Jesus Christ sinless. Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't meant to be that way. If you think that you are a good person and, a, and that will be enough to make you right before God, the Bible says you are still under a curse. And if you try to live your life as a believer under law, under duty, your faith will become shipwrecked. Don't do it. Paul says, do this though. Rest. Rest in the redemption that comes only by faith alone. Verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified. Justified means no one is made right. Legally made right before God. No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. And if we live by the law, we are going to die by the law because it is a curse on us. It's not going to make us right before God. So don't try to do it. Christ, though, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Justification means that we are declared righteous. Not that we are made righteous, but God says, I declare you righteous before me. And not justified because I declare you righteous because of what you did. I declare you righteous because of somebody outside or something outside of yourself. And that one outside of yourself is myself. Because I looked at the world and I said I loved the world. So I'm going to give myself for the world, for their sins, so that I can make them right. And my righteousness will be then given to them by faith alone. That's it. That's our only hope. Don't do it any other way. Because it cost God a lot to bring us this. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. There was nothing more brutal than death by crucifixion. Jewish people wouldn't even do it. Only the Romans would do it. A person would be strung up on the tree. Flies would be all over them. Blood, pain, agony, so much so that a word was made from it. A word was made from the cross excruciating. That word came, meaning out from the cross. There was no other way to describe the pain of dying on a cross but excruciating. But God says, I'm going to come and do that for you, not because I am guilty, but because you are guilty, and I will come and be your representative substitute so that when I die, you can die. When I have victory over sin, you can have victory over sin. And when the way you receive that is by faith alone. Because you are so bent up in yourselves. We are so wrapped up, deformed, messed up by sin. We don't even know how bad it is. So I saw you this week were struggling. Thinking, Man, I can't even believe I did that. Where, how, how did I end up in this situation? Why am I still here? But we needed 
somebody outside of ourselves to give us hope. And God said, I'm going to do that for you. And he gave us the ability to open up our hands even and have faith. Faith is a gift from God. Being redeemed is a gift from God. It's the grace of God cost Jesus greatly. It cost him his life. Someone had to pay for those sins. They're real. Jesus really died. Your guilt is real. Your guilt was real. And your only hope was to turn to Jesus by faith. Why walk away from that now? Why think that once you entered the gospel by faith, you can now earn somehow God's favor by doing things or trying to be something that you're not? Why do that? If you want to finish strong, stay at the start. Stay at the power of the cross alone. Cursed is everybody who's hung on a tree. Deuteronomy 27 says that. That's why Paul, when he was not a believer, could not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. How could somebody who was on a cross be the Messiah? Because anybody who died on a cross was cursed. There's no way that could be the Messiah. He didn't understand until God gave him the eyes of faith and changed his life. And then when that happens, we are redeemed. We are bought with a price. You are bought. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And that looks differently for everybody. But have you been bought? Have you been trying to earn your favor with God as a believer? Have you kind of strayed away from the cross thinking, you know, I believe in the gospel, but I think I have to do all these things. And I just feel like I have to do these things. And you constantly feel frustrated and beat down because you can't do the things you think you have to do. You wake up not believing the promises of God, but thinking there's just all these things I have to do. That's not the gospel. God does not want us to live that way. He came to redeem us. And he does it differently all the time. There's a pastor in Chicago, James Ford, Junior, you can hear him on the radio on Moody. He's been a pastor for 20 years, but he was so against God. He's a, on the south side of Chicago. His wife was having an affair. He was ready to leave his wife. He was actually going to kill his wife. And he was at this job site, and he was going to go home and kill her. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give her one more chance. I'm going to spend one more night with my wife. And one day at that, at that week at work, a crane fell. And this little guy from Tennessee pushed this big guy, African-American guy, out of the way and saved his life. And James said, I had no use for anybody outside of my social circle. But when that guy saved my life, I thought the least I could do was listen to him. And he said, James, Jesus has the answers for your life. And he went home and he got as high as a kite as he possibly could be be planning to kill his wife he had a father that had abandoned him and he said if he grew up to have a son he would never do that to his his son he had a son now named jay and his wife was discussing this and his wife says to him what about jay and james ford said immediately the high vanished from my life i could feel it come from the heads to my toes i was stone cold sober and i dropped to the floor and i said god don't kill me God, don't kill me. And he went back to work the next day, and he's telling God's real. God's real. He was redeemed, not by anything that James Ford wanted to do, but because the grace of God snatched him and redeemed him back. There is a musician named Jacob Luke Lures, 
who sings for a metal core band that if some of you heard the music, it's the screaming kind, you'd say there's no way that can be from God. It was a drug addict, pornography, women, lust, sex. That was his life until his band fell apart. Had nothing. He was working for some job. Had absolutely nothing. He was going to kill himself. He was ready to die. And then all of a sudden, he just turned to God and said, Jesus, and he said just like this. You can see it on my Facebook page. Jesus, if you're real, if you really, can, if you really want my life, I'll give you my life. If you're real, you can have my life. And he said, after I prayed that, I just couldn't stop smiling because God redeemed him and gave him the gift of life. Two weeks ago, Victor Waters, a 14-year-old boy, died and went to be with Jesus. And Victor said this at his baptism when he was telling his story of conversion. He said, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. We never went to church. My family fell apart. I had to go into a foster family. This is the background of a foster home. Until God placed me into a Christian family in Minnesota called the Waters family. They took me in. He goes, God reached me differently than he reaches other people. Because he says, God's grace on me was giving me cancer. And by getting cancer, Victor Waters at, 14, at 12 years old was redeemed. Turned his life over to Jesus Christ and he died two weeks ago. Redeemed, justified before God. Not by anything that he did. It may come to all of us in different ways. How God redeems you may be different. Your story is different maybe than my story. But what must be true, there must have been a time in your life when Jesus redeemed you, when you saw yourself as a sinner and saw Jesus as an awesome Savior, your hope, and you tasted him, and you said, I want the bread of life, and you confessed your sins, and you asked Jesus to come into your life to save you. That's the gospel, and Paul says, don't ever move from that. Because that same grace that saved you is the same gospel that's going to change you. You're struggling with an addiction? Stay at the gospel. You're struggling with your finances? Go back to the gospel. Jesus is your hope. He will rescue you. Don't rely on anything else, but rest in the redemption that we have by faith alone. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, struggled all his life, many years, with if he really was a Christian. Did he really have right standing before God? And he says, one day as I was passing my, in a field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought within myself, I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say, I saw my righteousness so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he wants my righteousness, for that was just not in front of him. I also saw, saw moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that my, made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. So that from that time, those dreadful scriptures of not being able to find repentance left off to trouble me. Now when I also then went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Has that happened to you? Have you been let free? 
Are you been, if you are free, are you walking away from the gospel? Are you trying to earn a right standing and favor with God by anything but Jesus Christ alone? Don't do it. Repent. Rest and the redemption by faith alone. Let's bow our heads. That is the whole picture of communion. Are you resting by faith alone in Jesus Christ? Or even as a believer, are you struggling and striving to do something, to earn God's favor? Don't leave the start. We're going to come this morning and celebrate communion, reminding ourselves what Jesus did for us, how he shed his blood and how he broke his body for us. I'm going to ask Betty to play. Let's just take a moment and prepare ourselves for that. What are you trusting in? If you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, I encourage you to come. Oh